How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensen. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's going pretty good. It's not freezing this week, so that's a good start. <laughs> that's always a pretty good start. Actually, it's funny, even a couple of days ago here, it was started snowing a little bit. Didn't last very long, nor did it stick, so, but it happened. Yeah. But I think I'll talk more about my week once we get to the episodes. For sure. Speaking of the episode, today's episode is Season 3, Episode 9, in chronological order, Episode 63, the Tyler Ennis edition. Just a little backstory about Tyler Ennis. He was drafted 26th overall by the Buffalo Sabres in 2008. He went on to play eight seasons for Buffalo before moving on to the Minnesota Wild and Toronto Maple Leafs before signing with the Ottawa Senators this summer. You know, I gotta say, in the short amount of time that Tyler Ennis has actually played for the Sens... He doesn't always put up points, but he seems like a really good bottom six energy kind of guy. And I think somebody on Twitter was bringing this up. He says, you know, if he was a much younger, I would have been all for trying to re-sign him. But the fact is, he's sort of a pump and dump sort of player at this point. Yeah, and it's hard because Tyler Ennis is one of those guys where, even though it was a late first round draft, the 2008 draft was honestly fairly deep. He was a guy who definitely has a skill profile, and he scored over 40 points on multiple occasions in his career in Buffalo. It's just, for whatever reason, he's never really been able to consistently put it together. Yeah, and that's a shame, right? Because honestly, the one player he kind of reminds me of, especially the way he moves, the way he skates, and the fact that he can be a bit streaky, is Mike Hoffman. Yeah, and it's funny because you can definitely see you can see that Tyler Ennis has the hands, he has the brain, he just something that's not being put together, and it's kind of odd. So Tim, let's talk about next week's cover athlete, because next week's episode is Season 3, Episode 10, in chronological order, Episode 64, the J.C. Boudin episode. J.C. Boudin kind of came out of nowhere, hey? He did, and the fact is that really, he had maybe one or two games where he was really noticeable, but overall... Yeah, it's just been sort of there. Yeah, it's like him and Sauberin this season. That's true, but you know what? Sauberin, I think, brought a little bit more to the table when we actually saw him before he got injured, though. Like, I can really count on one hand the amount of games that I really noticed him. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. So, Tim, usually when it comes to our weekly recaps, I usually would like get you to talk about your week. But I'm going to switch the switch it up a little bit. I'm going to talk about my week because I've had a pretty hectic week overall. Starting off on Tuesday. So I got to work on Tuesday. And, you know, it just seemed like a really normal day. Went to work, and I was like, all right, you know, let's get this work week going. And my boss comes to me. He goes, oh, by the way, we're shorthanded today. And I was like, okay, you know, no biggie. It's not not a biggie. We had three people out. The morning receiver didn't come in because her son was sick. So I said, okay, you know, fair, fair enough, whatever. The morning prep person didn't come in. They were sick. And the third person quit the day before. And this is not just like at the end of his shift. He's like, eh, you know what? I'm gone. He went into our boss's office midday and was like, yeah, this is not going to work out. Was he a guy that been on the job a lot or was he kind of a newer hire? No, he's a newer guy. He's only been there a couple of months. Uh, okay. Yeah, it was sort of a mutual thing because... You know, I, I won't say the guy's name, but the guy was pretty soft overall. Like, seriously, it seemed like every other week or give or take, 
he was either had tendonitis in his elbow or his wrist was injured or something happens. Seriously, this is the kind of guy that would have sneezed and he'd be out with a, for a week. So you're working with Pascal LeClaire. Yeah, basically. And the funny thing is, like, this guy was like an ex-football player. Like, you would think he would be pretty tough, but no, the guy was soft in the baby shed. Well, that might be why, just the legacy and injury, and then all of a sudden he can't take anymore. And credits to Pascal LeClaire, other than the dodgeball, a lot of the stuff that he did get injured, it was like just bad luck freak stuff. Yeah, but the thing is, like, and obviously working in a kitchen is pretty physically demanding. I don't think a lot of people realize how physically demanding working in a kitchen is, but oh, yeah. it's one of those things, right, where, you know, you kind of have to take care of your body. You have to make sure that you're doing everything correctly. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, since I started at work, I have buggered up my ankle. I've buggered up my knee. I've injured my back twice. So really, injuries in the workplace are not uncommon. But, you know, at least try to not be like, yeah, I can't come in. Like, okay, if you're, like, seriously injured and you can't come in, okay, that's fine. But, I don't know, there's just a part of me that you will be labeled that guy. And maybe that's not the right way to go about it, but you know what? It's the nature of the beast when you work in a kitchen. Yeah. Well, the other thing is I remember when I used to work in a kitchen for a summer job with the military, uh, we had a guy, uh, and uh, he, came, he didn't have his proper PPE. Uh, personal protective equipment because one of the requirements for working on the site was uh, you had to have steel-toed, non-slip boots because part of the job was working in a receiver bay. Uh, he didn't tell anyone he didn't have them, then proceeds to drop a 50-pound box of potatoes on his foot. It was a summer job. He missed the first month. Oh, that's... That's not good, man. That's not good. So, yeah, this is just Tuesday. This is not just the rest of my week. The rest <laughs> of the week, like, and we were busy, too. We had people that were out. People didn't come in. We did American Thanksgiving shorthanded. So, the whole week, I was doing double duty at work. I was either doing my job and somebody else's job. And by Saturday, my boss is like, okay, you know what, guys? Taylor's busting his ass doing two jobs. You guys need to help him. Like, you need to do your own garbages. You need to sweep and do your own floors. Seriously, he's busting his ass doing everything for you guys right now. Well, to be fair, if your boss is coming out and saying, hey, you got, you got to give that guy support because he's busting his ass, you're doing something right. Yeah, and the thing is, is, like, I've been there for about four years now, but my boss knows that I'm not going to speak up about it. I will just be like, okay, whatever, I'll just go do it. It's not that big of a deal to me. But yeah, he came to me and he's like, listen, dude, you've been here long enough, like, you deserve, you know, people helping you. And I was like, I don't know, but, you know, it's just the way I am. Well, at the same time, like, definitely in the kitchen, it is one of those things where, and I remember sometimes we'd be short-staffed because, well, yeah, a guy dropped a box on his foot or someone decided, and this is the weird one about the military one, was uh, there was a day where like, two of the older staff just decided they weren't showing up one day, and I remember uh, I got a call to go from one kitchen to the other. So not only was I the one guy at the dish pit for, we were serving about a thousand people that day. Yeah. I'd never worked that dish pit. It was a completely different machine. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. Like, when I started at the, like, when I went from the restaurant to go to the school, it was, you know, yeah, well, you work in a very different sort of environment, but the machine itself is so different because when I worked at the restaurant... 
it was just a one-man machine. It was like just like a box. You lift the lid, you put the shit in there, you put the box down and starts up. This one, we have like a whole conveyor belt with everything going through. Oh, and then the conveyor belt one, you have to do, you have to scrape and stuff. It was... Well, thankfully the kids do that, so... Oh. But, you know, if they don't do it, we ended up doing it. We had our own little combo. It's not that big of a deal. But yeah, that was just my whole week. Like, I was double shifting and busting my ass. And yeah, it was just one of those weeks, man. I was just like, oh, I'm tired and, you know, worked worked like a dog, man. Yeah, shitty. Yeah. And then, of course, today I had to drive to Victoria this morning. I had an appointment with the bank. Everything went all pretty good for that. Got myself a new credit card, so it's always been good. Your branch is out of Victoria. Weird. Well, well, when my cousin worked for CIBC, he set up my account at the one in Broadmead. Oh. So that's... You you could just transfer it. Yes, I'm aware of this now, but that's not the point. The point is (laughs) I drove to Victoria to do that today. And honestly, I have to say, and you know, living on Vancouver Island, the one big disadvantage we have is that if you want to go to Victoria, you got to drive to the Malahat. Now, the Malahat is never that great of a drive. There's always something wrong. There's either construction or there's an accident or weather. Going there and coming back, actually not that bad, to be honest with you. The weather was clear, no traffic. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? This is not right. Wait, no one was trying to turn into that one little gas station? No. I. You know what's funny? I have never seen anybody trying to turn into that one gas station where the, I think it was in the Malahat Lodge... Yeah, the Mountain Inn. Yeah, the Mountain Inn. I've never seen anybody ever trying to pull into that. It's weird. I always see someone in that left turn lane whenever we go over. Yeah, it's weird. So, yeah, that basically has been my week. You know, work like a dog, been busy, traveling. But I'm glad to say that all of that's behind me at the moment. And I get to sit on the talk with you on the Third Life Luck Sensecast. Nicely done. Yeah. Now, given that I talked about my week, Tim, how has your week been overall? Not too bad. So it's mostly just been a mix between. So uh, I'm not. I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, but uh, I'm house hunting. So it's been that. It's been been tapped on the shoulder to do some more stuff at CMHC. So it turns out I'm going over to Ottawa for training next week. So getting ready for that. No, oh, that's a shame, man. Because honestly, the Sens don't even play any home games this week. Well, I mean next week, but I think it's pretty, pretty No, I think they're back from their Western Road Sweep, if I'm not mistaken. Are you talking this coming week or the week after? No, the week after. Oh, the 10th okay. And 11th. Oh, okay. Yeah, because, you know, it's funny. I was just looking at our week to come for the games, and I'm like, at Vancouver, at Edmonton, at Philadelphia, Tim, you're, the, the Suns aren't even playing in Ottawa this week. I could go to the Bruins a game on the 9th, but that also means going out to Canada. Yeah, that's true. That is true. That's always going to be a problem. Did you do it when you were there? I never did, no, because I didn't. Going to Canada was the only thing I didn't do when I was there. Like, I saw everything else. Like, I didn't go. I only stayed really down, more downtown. So, yeah, I did make the drive to Canada, but I did, you know, like, I went to Lansdale. I went to the Ottawa Civic Center. Oh, okay. Good stuff. Oh, and it's now a lot easier to go to Big Rig. Turns out, the new O-Train goes all the way out to Big Rig. So are you saying that you're going to have to try out Big Rig Brewery when you're in Ottawa, Tim? Yeah, if I have time. Solid. So, Tim, let's talk a little bit about a previous episode, because 
I really don't have much to say about it. I mean, it was a good episode, and I thought we made some decent points, and... I don't know, there's just not much I can really say about it, to be honest with you. It was just a usual episode. You know, I thought we were... I thought we were actually pretty on for that one. I guess the only note, really, I have of that episode is that it was one of our slower listen-to episodes. Because when I woke up the next morning, it had, like, 16 listens. I was like... Oh, okay. Oh. That's, that's, that's that's still got to 45, so. Yeah, that's what? true. That is true. But you know what? It I would have really liked to see us, you know, get a higher number into the 60s like our other episodes have been this season. So, but, you know. Yeah, fair enough. One thing I do want to comment on last week's episode, though, Tim, is that you and I were talking about the Anthony Duclair contract talks. And I said, you know what? has Have you seen enough that you would give Anthony Duclair an extension, and we talked about it, and, you know, and I said, you know, you know, I don't know what to call it, maybe discussion point, or something like that. I think I have a proper name for it, Tim. Oh, what are we going with? I think we should be calling it Discussion Period. Yeah, it works. Yeah. So, our furry first... And actually, I noticed this on Twitter, and I think I, I want to say I mentioned it on last week's episode or the week after. I actually saw a tweet on Twitter, and I thought this would be a really good one to start off discussion period. This one comes from at Darcy Cudmore on Twitter. Now, this tweet was from, let me just bring it up here. I believe this episode, November, I think it was November 25th. No. One second. Was it November 25th? Uh. No, November 23rd. So Darcy, quote, tweeted the Ottawa Senators after Logan Brown scored his first NHL goal that he spoke to the media. And Cudmore wrote, Shabbat has grown so much in such a short time. We're in an agreement that Thomas Shabbat should be the next captain of the Sens. Right? And actually, this sparked my interest because, you know, when I was thinking to myself, you know, because I responded to the said tweet and I gave what I honestly felt and said, I don't know about that and this, that, and the next thing. So I thought this would be a great great one to start off a discussion period and honestly i should just ask the obvious question tim given what darcy has said here who do you feel should be the next captain of the ottawa Senators? now me personally there's like three or four people i can honestly see i see shabbat pajo if we keep him, and brady chuck and for my money the obvious choice as captain of the ottawa Senators is brady to chuck i mean for me this is where the Ottawa Senators are going right now. They're, Brady really simplifies what the Ottawa Senators and what they're, the direction they're heading towards, where they're really getting up in people's faces and they're playing more like a team. And Shabbat definitely brings a lot more offensive skill to the team in terms of what he brings on the ice and also from a leadership standpoint because Shabbat can really rally the team with his offensive skills and be like, hey guys, listen, we're down by two goals. I can get us back into this. Brady can go the other way and go, listen, we're down by two goals. Let's throw everything at him and let's go and get three goals. So that's my well, honest pick, Tim. So I'm obviously very curious to see what you feel about the next captain of the Ottawa Senators should be. Well, it's hard because, again, we can't really see what's in the locker room. And one thing that Brady Kachuk's very good is kind of bringing that out. And if Brady Kachuk's my captain of the team at some point, I would have no real issue with that. Uh, I think Shabbat would also be a, a great captain because... He seems like someone who's very good at kind of leading from behind, getting things set up and making sure people get their due praise, which are all very strong leadership traits as well. And if the Sanders keep him, 
at least in the short term, I think Pajot would be a fantastic captain for the Senators. Yeah, other than that, the only other one I could think of, and the only knock against him is he might be a seventh defenseman going forward. But I think Mark Borowiecki would be a very good captain candidate for the Senators as well. I see him Borowiecki. Yeah, I see him be more of a dark horse candidate, honestly, because of his seventh defenseman standing. But given that I'm not, I'm sure you saw this on Twitter. Uh, Dan Murphy, who's the Canucks reporter, reported that the Sens are in Vancouver right now, and Borvieski saw somebody getting carjacked, and he clotheslined somebody on a bike who was trying to flee the scene. Yeah, community involvement and just being a spark plug and being that sort of person is definitely. That's Mark Borowiecki to a team, and that's why he's wearing an A right now. Despite not being the most gifted NHL player, Borowiecki has made himself a fan favorite by just consistently laying down the, laying himself on the line, laying down the body, and being a very, a very positive community presence. Be it quite literally Borough Cop at this point, or through programs like the Condors or marching and pride parades, like all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think Borowiecki would be a very good captain for the Senators as well. Yeah, but I'm also looking at it from a marketing standpoint too, right? And obviously, while Borvieski is a very big fan favorite with the Senators and the Ottawa community, I think from a marketing standpoint, Boro doesn't really make a lot of sense because he's not really well-known outside of the Ottawa Senators and the Ottawa community. And that's why I feel that Shabbat or Dachuk would make a better captain in that regard because Thomas Shabbat, who has been probably one of the better Senators we've had over the last couple of years, and of course, Brady Tuchuk is building his name right now, and obviously we saw the video with him and that fan from Saturday night, which I'm just going to say right now, actually, you know what, I'm going to hold off on saying that until we get to the fourth game we're going to talk about tonight, but for myself, I, I, I see both being really valid people to become the captain, but my money right now is on Tuchuk, for just for the reasons why, and I think that's maybe where the Senators are heading in that direction of you know, playing like a team, and they need somebody who exemplifies that. And I feel that Tuchuk is, in my personal opinion, the right man to lead as his captain. You know, I think my big thing is just, I don't think there's a consensus that Shabbat will be in the next captain just because there's so many good candidates. And that's where I'm coming from this. And uh, unless they do something, I don't know, it's hard. Like, unless they pick, like, something completely out of left field, that doesn't really make a ton of sense. I don't think they can really go wrong with this group of senators. The only one that I think would be a weird pick would be Artem and like a bad pick right now would be Artem Anisimov because he just doesn't look plugged in. No, but it's kind of hard, right? When the coaching staff just has no faith in him and he's permanently stapled to the press box. True. Honestly, I think my big thing for Chuck being captain is that if they name him captain, and this is a big hypothetical, I think personally they would name him captain the day he signs his, his extension. And I say this because when he signs his extension, I bet you the next thing in that press conference when they announce it, they're going to give him a jersey with a C on it. And that's the way I would go about it. And if they give him the C and with that big extension, you know me. I'll just throw my fucking credit card. i be like, just take my money. Take it. Yeah, it's interesting that Colin White hasn't really come up in this conversation because he might be able to swing it as well. That's true. That, that is true. But I see him more as like a third option in all of this because 
the two obvious options would be Shapot or the Chuck as Gap. Yeah. Although I think Colin White's definitely someone who gets an A. That's true. I see he getting the A. Whoever doesn't get the captaincy between Shabbat and Dechuk, Boro, and if we keep Jean-Gabriel Pajot, give him the A as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to throw it out to the listeners right now, all, you know, five of them. What do you think about our current discussion about who should be the next captain? Please, do us a, do us a solid, either choose a tweet on Twitter at Third Line Plug or send us an email at thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com and give us your comment. And as always, Tim, when it comes to the discussion point, we don't know when it might come back, but we know one thing for sure is that we are going to segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. So, Tim, we're going to give two big congratulations this week. First off, New York Rangers goalie Henrik Lundqvist moved into fifth on the all-time wins list with his 455th win. Lundqvist, drafted 205th overall in 2000 by the New York Rangers, has played his entire career with New York since joining the team for the 2005-2006 season. I'm going to go on record, and I know it seems so obvious at this point, but Henrik Lundqvist, with everything he's accomplished, is the greatest European board goaltender of all time. Yeah, he's probably the best goaltender to have never won a Stanley Cup. At the, at the moment. Because honestly, I mean, people would, are looking at Carey Price the same way too, right? Like, they look at his talent and what he brings to the Montreal Canadiens, but he hasn't won a, cap, uh, a Stanley Cup yet. Yeah. You know, he could probably catch Roberto Luongo this season and move into third. But what, like, the hard thing is just at 30, moving, coming up on 38, it's going to be very hard to catch Broder and Wah. It is. And the fact is, like, you really need to be some, like, next level good to catch those guys. Because, honestly, what is Broder at, what, 691 or whatever? 691. 691 at the moment? Yeah, so that's going to be probably... And, you know, a lot of people back in the day would say, oh, Terry Sawchuk's record of 103 shutouts was the most unbreakable record. And here along comes Martin Broder, and he's like, bitch, please, I got this. Hold my beer. Yeah, hold my beer. Daddy's got this. And he's got, what, like 124 or whatever shutouts? Yeah. Yeah, honestly, Broder's record, I mean, you look at a lot of his, I think those are going to be the, the unbreakable records at this point, given that goaltenders take a much longer to develop. But also, unless you're, you know, the Carey Prices or Henrik Lundqvist that stay with one team for a very long time and you don't have much competition, that's going to be really, really tough to catch those numbers. Well, I think the other thing is uh, not a lot of goalies are playing 70 games in a season anymore. And Broder was doing that and winning about 40 of them. Yeah, sometimes close to 50 of them too. Yeah, so I don't think you're not going to see that anymore because goalies tend to, most goalies play about 50. Uh, I wouldn't say that, about 60, 65. 50 to 60, and I think that number's going down as the backups get better. Fair enough, man. Washington Capitals forward Alexander Ovechkin became the fifth player in NHL history to score 20-plus goals in his first 15 seasons following Marcel Dion, Mike Gardner, Yarmer Yager, and Matt Sundin. He also picked up his 24th career hat-trick the same night. You know, this is, what, again, this is one of these guys that, when you really think about it, I still can't believe he's only got a few more years left, given that 
it's been 15 plus years. We've grown up watching these guys. And that's when you begin to really realize like, whoa, like we don't have much more time with these guys. Like there have been such fixtures in the NHL that the minute they come close to retirement, that's when the real appreciation of these players really start to emerge. Yeah, and what's kind of nuts, though, about Ovechkin is uh, we're at a a third of the way of the season. They're just over the one-third mark, and he's at 20 goals. Yeah, and that's one of the things. Sorry, I'm going back to what I was saying about uh, all of Berdur's records, and people were talking about Gretzky's all-time goals list. I don't think Ovechkin's going to reach it, but I think he'll be the closest to come anywhere near that. Given that if he can continue his production into his late 30s, maybe early 40s, he might have a chance at catching him. Basically, at this point, he probably needs three more 50-goal seasons. And then whatever, and if he continues, if he wants to play after that, that will just pat it. He can do it. So, Tim, I guess we need to go into the big, big story of the week. And this is one that... I think in the history of the third line plug sense, guys, I don't think we've really ever covered a story to which the media has really picked up on it. People are coming out of the woodworks talking about it. And honestly, I can't think of another story in which the magnitude of what's happening is happening. Former NHLer Akeem Aliou is accusing current Calgary Flames head coach Bill Peters of directing racial slurs at him while both were with the Chicago Blackhawks AHL team in Rockford during the 2009-10 season. Aliou stated in a series of tweets that Peter dropped the N-bomb several times towards Aliou regarding his distaste in Aliou's music choice. Aliou later tweeted that Peters wrote a letter to Blackhawks president John McDonough and Hawks GM Stan Bowman to have him sent down to the ECHL. Flames GM Bread Traveling responded to alleged said allegations while Peters was not made available to the media. Said tweets are coming on the heels of Mike Babcock's firing from the Leafs, whom Peters worked in the WHL. So, if you don't mind me taking the reins here for a second, Tim, my opinion on this has really evolved. And when I first heard this story, I don't want to come off as being really ignorant, but my first reaction was... Kind of a Mike Commodore, what he feels about Mike Babcock, where it's an ex-player who has an axe to grind with a head coach. And that's the way I looked at it when I first saw it. And this kid was, what, 21, 20 years old in the Niners, and he knew if he had come out, the Blackhawks were not going to call him up. The Hawks would have had a media circus on his hands. But the more and more I thought about it and the more stories came out about head coaches and Bill Peters, the more I began to realize that this is a much bigger problem with hockey. And, you know, and you hear stories about Brent Solpo when he was with Mark Crawford and Sean Avery came out about Crawford and Akeem Aliyu and Miguel Jordan and all these players are coming out about their head coaches physically or mentally abusing them. And there's a very fine line between being a tough head coach and being abusive. To me, a tough head coach uses tactics to get the best out of players. Abusive coaches are the ones who use their power against the players. And I'm, I don't know how you feel about this, but this is a big story which the more I begin to look at this, I'm just like, whoa, like this is serious. A lot of these stories are coming out. And we all remember a few years ago when Hollywood had the Me Too movement. This is exactly what's happening in the National Hockey League. And the one head coach, I'm shocked 
I am shocked nothing has come out about him is Mike Keenan, given how many players hated Mike Keenan. And I'm going to let you jump in here, Tim, because I want to get your take on the Keem Aliu saga and all the news stories that have come out regarding Angel head coaches. It's interesting that when I see anything on Twitter, I tend to give it a weight of an information weight of zero. Like to me, it's just very little worthwhile actually happens on Twitter. And then uh, I started updating. It's like, yeah, more stories came out. And then when the flames are taking it seriously, I'm like, okay, there's something here. Twitter is the definition of talks cheap. And yeah, the more you hear about it, the more you hear like even some of the most prolific Red Wings coming out saying like how uh, Babcock was like how much of a piece of work Babcock was. You're a pussy sopal, just stuff like that. And you're realizing, okay, there's quite a lot here. And you have to wonder just how widespread this problem is. Mm-hmm. Well, going back to uh, what he was saying about the racial comments, the one news story from probably 10, 15 years ago, I remember was when John Van Beesbrook was the head coach of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. And he dropped the end bomb a couple of times on the team bus and he ended up losing his job. And I don't think he's, I, far as I know, he hasn't gotten another coaching job since then. But of all of this, and we'll drive this towards the Sens, because DJ Smith did work for Bill Peters as well, as did Paul McLean. But the one thing, and I have to say, if you're a Sens fan, at this moment, if you're still on the fence about DJ Smith as the head coach, his comments he made regarding this absolutely gave me a brand new respect for him. Because he said to the media that when he was with the Oshawa Generals, he didn't even make the rookies clean the bus after a road trip. And his thought process was, if kids don't, if kids come to the rink feeling unsafe, you're going to get nothing out of them on the ice. It's funny because, and I think it's interesting that the Sens are finding people like this because Zidane Chara echoed the same thing in a piece with The Athletic last week where uh, Zidane Chara basically said as soon as he became captain of the team, he put on a harsh, like a very strong, very hard no-hazing policy. Mm-hmm, and Akeem Aliyu. Up until now, he was really most noted for when he played for the Windsor Spitfires, and he refused to take part in the rookie hazing. In the rookie hazing, oh God, I can't remember the, um, where all the rookies would would strip naked and they'd sit in the team bus's bathroom, and he, he flat out told the team, he says, "Nope, I'm not doing this." And the next day in practice, Steve Downey cross-checked him in the face in practice. Yeah, hazing is such a. Like, it's such an ugly thing in sports. And the only thing that really seems to perpetuate it is that cycle of abuse, because, like, I am I honestly don't really buy into the whole share negative experience brings the teams together, because there's a lot of teams that don't practice hazing and do very well for themselves. Uh, the, we can immediately refer to the Boston Bruins, one of the best NHL teams of the decade, with a no-hazing policy. And other sports teams I've played on where we did just as well as everyone else and we didn't haze. No, there's a very, I mean, there is obviously a difference between, you know, busting somebody's balls and joking around with them than there is with hazing. Because hazing, you're doing something that is deliberately hurting somebody, whether it's emotionally or physically or even mentally. And going back to Brent Sopel, the one thing I remember and actually, I kind of forgot about this, too, is that he was on Spit and Chicklets last year. And he also wrote an article with, not The Athletic, but he wrote it for the Players' Tribune. And he yep. mentioned the allegations against Mark Crawford on both of them. And nothing came of that. I do remember that. And I remember, 
I, I don't have top of my head. I can't remember if we did talked about on top of the air last season, but I do remember now thinking about it that that came out and nothing ever ever came out of that, right? It was just like, oh yeah, Brent Sobel said something about Crawford, and that was it. Yeah, and I think that's interesting, and I think the reason why this one took off and uh, Brent Sobel's didn't, it's the end bomb. Like, as soon as you bring that racial element into things, you move not only from abuse, but you move into, quite frankly, hatred. That's true, and we're also in a and we're in a cycle of ignorance, given that we're only a few weeks removed from the Don Cherry comments and the comments made by the woman on the social about the um, young hockey players. So the fact that this came out just a few weeks after that really is its a sign that the culture of hockey kind of needs to change, and it needs to change with the times. And obviously, I understand it's like you know team-building exercises, and I understand the mindset behind you know, camaraderie and all that stuff, but when well, you're doing... Can I offer a different take here? I think it's a sign that the culture's already changed. Because if it hadn't, would anything have happened? If it hadn't changed, wouldn't the, t- wouldn't the Flames said, yeah, whatever, we don't care? That's true, but I'm going to go... I'm going to stick with my original argument because the allegation against Bill Peters with Miguel Jordan with the Carolina Hurricanes and the team knew, and this was only a few years ago. Yeah, although that one's interesting because when you listen to Rod Brindamore's comments, he suggests that the team dealt with it and it never happened again. So we don't know exactly what they did. True, but you know that it was it was serious enough that when Tom Dundon bought the Hurricanes, first thing he did was he fired everybody and he cleaned house. Yeah. Brings such a different perspective to what Dundon did, you know? Because remember when we first talked about Dundon coming in two years ago here, you were definitely worried about him being an activist owner. Like being very active, a la the owner of the Cleveland Browns. But yeah, it, yeah, that he would meddle with um, management. Yeah, but then when you get this idea that he comes in, finds out, looks at some things that happen behind the sheet, and then cleans house, it does kind of put a different view on that. If Ron Francis had done some sort of effective corrective measure. We don't know enough about that because Rod Francis hasn't said anything. Yeah, but the one thing that when I was hearing about the Ron Francis stuff is that how is this going to affect his position as GM of the Seattle NHL expansion team? If he doesn't say anything, I would imagine that he's done. Because if you don't defend yourself, nobody's going to. (coughs) And if he doesn't say anything, I have a feeling that Seattle will probably move on. This isn't politics where you can basically wait out a scandal. I think in this, if it's bad enough, you're going to get purged. Because you're not relying on voters to remember. You're working with billionaires who want their team to be likable and win. Mm -hmm. And Tom Dundon absolutely changed the culture in Carolina after he cleaned house, but he also introduced storm surges, and they made that big playoff push last year. And it looks like the Hurricanes are kind of going in the right direction under Tom Dundon. So it seems like my skepticism as him as an owner has been at bay, given the positive steps he's making in making hockey popular again in Carolina. Yeah, and yeah, it, it starts with the bench. And if you've got a guy who's punching and kicking players, dropping the N-word, you can't win. If that's the guy who's leading you from behind, is that an environment you can succeed in? Not really. 
So, Tim, I don't think there's any more points we could really make about the story. So, we're going to move our attention to a couple of suspensions because three players got suspended this week. We're going to start off with St. Louis Blues defenseman Robert Pertuzzo has been suspended four games without pay for cross-checking National Predators forward Victor Arvidsson. Bertuzzo is a repeat offender and will forfeit $67,073 and, wait for it, Tim, 16 cents. Now, this was a story that we were going to include last week on top of the hour. However, the ruling on his suspension didn't come out until Sunday. So this is why we'd be including it on today's episode, not last week's episode. I really do not like this hit at all. And this was it's a hit that vicious. Yeah, this was a hit that should not have happened. Like, and I understand tying a guy up in front, but when you come in from behind and cross-check him into the crossbar, that's really dirty. And I'm surprised that the whole National Predators just didn't go after Bertuzzo after that. And I'm really disappointed at the length of the suspension. It's too short, especially for a repeat offender. Mm-hmm. Well, there were some people on Twitter that were saying that they should have given him 20 games. But I'm thinking, well, you know, that's, that's pretty overkill. 20 games. It has to be at least 10. Yeah, 10 would be fine if he's a repeat offender. But, you know, again, this is another one of those suspensions that nobody's ever going to be happy about it, right? You're going to think, oh, that's too much or that's too little or, oh, well, he, this guy wasn't hurt on this play. Why are you giving him these amount of games? It's, it's kind but of it's one of those. such a vicious, like, that, it, that hit has no place in hockey. Like, that was bad. Mm-hmm. Well, neither did the hit on the next story. Toronto Maple Leafs forward. Alex Kerfoot has been... Suspended two games for boarding Colorado Avalanche defenseman Eric Johnson. Kerfoot is not a repeat offender and will forfeit $37,634.40. This was a nuts about this one. This is to an ex teammate. I know. This is one of those things that when I watched it, and I, I totally even, I totally forgot the fact that they were teammates, but two things I came out of this. Number one, like the Robert Pertuzzo, this hit shouldn't have happened. When you hit a guy from behind into the boards, first of all, that's an automatic suspension in my opinion, especially if you injure them. But also, I totally forgot that Eric Johnson was still in the NHL. Yeah, it's weird because he's actually a pretty solid player, all things considered. Well, you know, it's funny, right? Because this guy was drafted first overall in 2006. And the fact is that I couldn't even have told you he was drafted first overall. 2006 just seems like one of those weird drafts. Kind of like when you look at sports teams. I know, uh, what was he? I think it was the 2005 Chicago White Sox. They won the World Series. Nobody ever remembers them. What the weird thing is, it's like that, 2000, that 2005 draft is freaking weird too. You mean 2006? 2006, yeah. Because like Eric Johnson is a bit of a whiff. But then you have Jordan Stahl, Jonathan Tays, Nick Bastrom, Bastrom, Phil Kessel, Derek Broussard. Then you have Oposo, Peter Muller, Michael Froelich, and then Jonathan Bernier at 11. I know. Oh, God, it's so fucking weird. Yeah, I'm just going to have a quick look here. Jordan Stahl, Tays, Backstrom. Yeah, there, you know what? That's the thing, right? You look at these picks, and there were some pretty good ones, obviously. The Taves one was worked out great for the Blackhawks. Backstrom's been great for the Caps. Uh, Fat Man Castle obviously had a great career. Uh, Okaposa. Drew, Drew fell 22nd. Nick Foligno at 28th. Yeah, Michael Grabner 14th. Who I I actually like Michael Grabner to be honest with you. Yeah. Is he? Is he? Re- no, he's still playing. He's still playing, right? Yeah, he's uh with Arizona right now. 
I don't I, know if he's still playing or not. I know he seriously injured his eye, kind of like what happened with Brian Burrard, but... Yeah. yeah, I think that's just a draft where a lot of people whiffed. That's true. I mean, not as bad as, say, the 1996 draft, where fucking everybody whiffed other than the Sens who got Well, there Chris was Phillips. no talent on that t- team. Yeah. There, was... Sorry, in that draft, there was, all, there was very little talent. Well, this draft, there's a, a lot of players actually did play a decent amount of NHL hockey. Because you have, like, Milan Lucic, Sean, Mati- Sean Matthias, Jeff Petri, Nikolai Kuliman. Yeah, so some solid players, but no real superstars. Other than Giroux. Other than Giroux. And Taves. That's true. Well, Backstrom, Backstrom. too. Kessel. Kessel. Yep. Tim, let's move on to our next suspension. Tampa Bay Lightning defenseman Eric Cernak has been suspended two games for Elboy Buffalo Sabres defenseman Rasmus Dahlin. Cernak is not a repeat offender. You know, the funny thing about this one is that I saw the hit that didn't look overly vicious, but I can totally see where this is a suspension, and given that A, Dolan did get a concussion out of that, but B, if you've ever looked at some of the elbow pads that they have now where it has the hard plastic, you you don't even need to run into them that hard to fucking hurt somebody with those elbows. No, and the fact that it was, like, intentional elbow up it is, I think, what's really bad about that hit. It's just that one was clearly intentional. Actually, it, I have one more comment I forgot to make about the Kerfoot hit. What's up? It's funny that part of the reason why Kadri was on the way out of Toronto was for his lack of discipline. And one of the guys they brought back is in the same boat. Ah, uh, yes, that is very true, Tim. <laughs> now that I think about that, I was like, oh, you know, it is kind of true, actually, now that you mention it. The sad part about this top of the hour is that we don't have any Ottawa Senators news, but we are going to stay in our division because the Boston Bruins have re-signed a couple of players. We're going to start off with the Boston Bruins have re-signed Charlie Coyle to a six-year, $31.5 million contract with an AAV 5.25. Coyle, who was, requi- who was acquired by the Bruins from the Minnesota Wild in the 18-19 season, has recorded five goals, nine assists, or 14 points in 25 games for Boston this season. I don't know what your take on this signing is, Tim, but for me, I'm going to go ahead and say I don't really like this signing for Boston. Coyle may be a decent player now, but he might be on the wrong side of 30 because if you look at his offensive production, it's been going down and down and down over the last couple of seasons, and that's going to be a hard contract to move if, say, he enters his early to mid-30s and his production is absolute zero. Yeah, and it's the thing is, it's like he has been consistently good in the opponent's end, and not necessarily with the best production at all times. The other hand is this is very, I think this is very interesting for the Pajot contract because Charlie Coyle is a direct comparable to Pajot. Mm-hmm. I think that Pajot obviously has more upside offensively than. Charlie Coyle is, but yeah, and actually I saw that on Twitter too, that's, I can't remember if it was uh, Trevor Shackles or somebody I saw this on, that they made the same comment, is that Pajot might use the Charlie Coyle contract as leverage to whoever goes to sign him this offseason. Yeah, and they're both very similar players. They're the same age. They're both very skilled at keeping the puck in the offensive in the offensive zone and out of the defensive zone and can pick it 
pitch in with uh, second to third line level scoring. So it's, I think this goes into Pajot's portfolio as a contract I can get. To close out top of the hour, Boston Bruins have re-signed Chris Wagner to a three-year, $4.05 million contract with an AAV, 1.35. Wagner has recorded one goal, four assists for five points in 23 games for Boston this season. You know what, that's a, that's a decent enough contract. I mean, it's a low-cap hit. The guy's a bottom-six guy. I don't have much to say about Chris Wagner, but you know what? I feel that this is a decent enough signing for the Bruins, and I'm not going to go on record and say it's better than the Coil Coil signing, but I think for what he might bring to the table, I think it's a better overall deal for the Bruins. Yeah, well, the other thing about Wagner is he's probably one of the better bottom-pairing forwards out there. So it's not not a bad to pay a bit of a premium to... Really shore up that bottom line. Yeah, Boston's been rolling as of late. Yeah, they're dominating the East right now, man. Like, what are they at? Like, 19-4 and four or whatever at the moment? Yeah, and they're doing it without Patrice Bergeron. I know, but they are doing it with some really sweet-looking third jerseys now. Yeah. So it's, honestly, when Bergeron comes back, they probably have the best top six in hockey. And it's not costing them two arms and a leg. Toronto. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the hour for this week, which can only mean one thing. It's time to move on and talk about the games. Now, we got four games to talk about this week. We've got the Sens versus the Blue Jackets, Bruins versus the Senators, Sens versus the Wild, and the Sens versus the Flames. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Sens versus the Blue Jackets. This is a one to nothing Blue Jackets victory. Blue Jackets goals are scored by Oliver Bjorkstrand. Shots were 25-19 for Ottawa. So there is going to be no recap on this game because, honestly, the only real recap I'm going to give in this game is the Bjorkstrand goal. And... I had to condense watch this game because we were recording last week's episode on Monday night. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Since Twitter's reaction to this game was Z, 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 Z. It was a pretty boring game overall. It was a snooze fest. And credit to the Ottawa Senators for basically throwing a blanket over the Columbus Blue Jackets, but... They weren't really getting the quality of shots needed to get past Corpusello. Yeah, and that's the one thing I saw in the condensed game was that it seemed like both teams played more of a defensive style game more than offensive, and obviously the shot totals show that. And I guess the only there's only really two players we can talk about. Thomas Shabbat, three shots. I actually like the way he played in this game from what I saw as he was jumping up in the play offensively. And the other player we could talk about is Brady Tachuk, four shots. Matt, the boy was in his office all night. Yeah, just they weren't really throwing a lot to him, though, so the way she goes. Yeah, Thomas Shabbat played really well. Max Lejoie didn't get to see a lot of ice. We only saw 10 minutes of Lejoie, but it is what it is. Yeah. So do you just want to move on to the second game of the evening, Tim? Yeah, the game's pretty meh. 
Okay. Bruins versus Senators. This is a 2-1 Bruins victory. Bruins was scored by Brad Marchand and Daniel Chara. Senators was scored by... Hudson Bacho! Shots were 34-21 for Ottawa. A somewhat even game overall. Offense, Ottawa's offensive attack looked strong throughout the game while being complemented with some strong defensive play. Boston overall played solid defense throughout, stifling Ottawa for a majority of the game, while their offensive attack was a bit slow to get going, but it was enough to secure Boston the victory. Honestly, I felt that for the first two periods, and I don't think we'll be able to say this much this season at all. The Senators really took it to Boston and spent most of most of those two periods in Boston's end. Like, it was a clinic put on by the Senators. Well, Tim, the big reason that the Bruins got the victory in this is, of course, the play of Tuka Rask. 33 saves at .91 save percentage. Well, yes, I do maintain that he was a huge reason. He was complimented with some really strong defense in front of him. The whole game. Yeah, but I think just throughout the game and until the third where Ottawa kind of ran out of gas, Ottawa really took it to them. And I felt that the Kachuk declare Brown line really led the way. Yeah, and that's what I have in my sense players of note. Obviously, that first line of Kachuk, Logan, and Duclair, or the BBD line as I like to call them. Uh, one guy, two guys I really liked, both ex-Toronto Maple Leafs, one of them was Connor Brown. Brown seems to play better against these teams like the Bruins, where they seem to be more a more well-rounded team. He seems to play better against those teams for whatever reason. But another player that I really liked in this game was the play of our cover athlete for this week, Tyler Ennis. Yeah, and it's a shame that he wasn't rewarded. He was on the ice for the Shabbat goal, which was a beautiful goal, by the way. Oh my god, was it ever. Ugh. Something. Although it's a shame that Boston came back and potted two quick ones right after that, because it honestly that's a game that I felt the Senators really deserved to win. But it's the way she goes. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Thomas Shabbat, let's talk about him a little bit. One goal and four shots. I feel he played a really strong game overall, and not just on the yeah, offensive end, but I thought on the defensive side he actually had a much better game than he has in the past. And honestly, I think this whole. This whole week, Shabbat's been playing pretty well, with maybe the exception of the Minnesota game, where I don't think any of the Senators really played all that well, to be on. Well, even Tom Shabbat played pretty well, about as well as he could have in that sort of lopsided ending. But yeah, Shabbat's been moving really well. The passes have been very crisp. And actually, I think both of Ottawa's young defenders have been playing very well. I felt Eric Branstrom played pretty... He didn't end up on the score sheet, but I really liked what Eric Branstrom brought. He was shooting, he was setting up shots, and he wasn't victimized for a goal against. And uh, the shots that Boston got when he was on the ice weren't particularly great. So in 12 minutes of work, Branstrom did very well. So Tim, given that we talked about Tuka Rask's play, it's only fair that we talk about Anders Nelson as well. 19 saves, a .905 save percentage... I feel he, honestly, Anders Nelson did his job, even though Ottawa could not secure the W in the end. Yeah, like, .91, that's about what you can expect out of a goaltender. And it's just, it's a shame because the Sens really took it to Boston. It's just, things kind of went off the rails a bit in that early third, and the Senators paid for it. 
So I don't have any more comments to make on this game, Tim, if you want to head on to the third game of the evening. Uh, yeah, no. Okay. Sens versus Wild. This is a 7-2 Wild victory. Sens goes to scored by Nick Paul and Brady Tichuk. Wild goes to scored by Ted Donato, Jason Zucker, Zach Parise, Luke Coonan, Ryan Hartman, Eric Stahl, and Jared Spurgeon. Shots were 35 even. Nick Paul scores first to make it 1-0, deflecting Nikita Zaitsev point shot. Ted Donato scores to make it a 1-1 tie, backhanding it top shelf. Brady Tuchuk scores to make it 2-1 Ottawa after Connor Brown snags the puck off a faceoff and finds him in front. Jason Zucker scores to tie the game at 2 after deflecting Zuccarello's pass. Zach Parise scores to make it 3-2 Wild after Brady's, Brady's clear is deflected by Kevin Fiala to Parise, who slides at home short side. And then the meltdown happened. Luke Coonan, 4-2. Ryan Hartman, 5-2. Eric Stahl, 6-2. And Jared Spurgeon makes it a 7-2 final. So I had to condense watch this game, and the reason I decided to condense watch it is because I, I saw everybody's reaction on Twitter. So I decided to watch the latest All Elite Wrestling Dynamite program from Wednesday night. And honestly, Tim, I stand by my decision to watch AEW over in this game. I'm not going to lie. I stopped watching after it became 5-2. Yeah, honestly, Dynamite was actually... Probably better than this game. And actually, I've been really kind of happy with Dynamite overall the last six, seven weeks that's been on TV. The, the network's been pretty good. The wrestling's been pretty good. And the first, like, 20 minutes of last week's episode was actually kind of funny because they did the American Thanksgiving um, thingy where Chris Jericho, who's a you know, well-known wrestler, his dad came out to the ring and he's wearing a New York Ranger jersey because he used to play for the Rangers. And he got booed in Chicago because, you know, it's the home of the Blackhawks. I can't do his justice. It was too funny. And the one thing that's not funny, though, Tim, we have a name for it. It's called the mini meltdown. Now, while you can isolate that third period as a meltdown, from what I was seeing on the condensed game, it seemed like Ottawa's play overall leading up to it certainly didn't help. The defense couldn't help but turn the puck over, and they really didn't give Anders Nilsson much help at all in front of him. No, Ottawa had a very hard time of, of keeping Minnesota away from the front of the net, and uh, there was a. It was just Minnesota was coming in waves. Ottawa was lucky to lead through half the game, but uh, you could tell that after, like you could tell after the Parise goal, they were in one. Yeah, and actually, the one comment I wanted to make about Parise's goal is that. Brady to Chuck did back into Kevin Fiala, and I guess Fiala hit him back, so Brady and him had a little bit of a scrum behind the net after he scored. Yeah, that, you know, I don't mind something like that. Hopefully it gets some juice in the boys, but yeah, no, it was, this is a rough game, and honestly, the defense didn't look great, and Borowiecki and Zaitsev were victimized for th four goal, three goals and four goals, sorry, four goals each. So it was a rough outing for both of them. Sorry, no, Zaitsev was victimized for five. Oh, Jesus. Actually, yeah. let's take a minute to talk about Brady to Chuck. One goal and three shots. Now, given that I watched it on the condensed version, I don't have much to say about Brady, but I will comment that Kelly from the Hockey Last tweeted out that she loves how Brady to Chuck always seems to fall after scoring. Question mark, question mark, question mark. And I had to think about that for a second. I was like, you know, it's kind of funny. It seems like every other goal that he scores... He's either going to his knees or he's falling down. Now, of course, a lot of this has to do with the fact that 
he's always in front of the net in the office. But that's actually a pretty good point that she brought up. It always seems like he's falling down after he scores. Yeah, I don't know why that is. I don't know why that's a thing. It's funny. And it was a nice goal that he potted. And really good work off the faceoff by Logan Brown. Although Logan Brown's night wasn't a good showing other than that bait. Sorry, that strong faceoff play. But yeah, he was stapled to the bench. He only saw 11 minutes of play. The only other player I can talk about is Nick Paul, one goal and five shots. From what I saw in the condensed game, I thought he looked pretty good in this game. Now, do you feel the same way about Paul, Tim? Or do you feel that his game really wasn't all that great? Honestly, the Paul, like the Paul Pajot line, they actually did pretty good. Paul's playing 15 minutes. He managed to, he was not on the ice for a goal against, and he scored a goal. And uh, the Pajot-White-Paul line actually looked pretty good. It's good to see that Nick Paul is continuing to just play solid hockey. And even in kind of a disheartening loss, he kept on trucking, honestly. Yeah, really, the last comment I have to make about this, and I, I tend to do this every now and then when watching games, I always, I always mention the, the arena DJ and whatever rink they're in, either it's Alex or it's somebody else in other ranks, but the wild DJ, I was actually kind of happy with his music choices as he was playing more hard rock and metal from what I was seeing on the condensed game. And the two ones I noticed, he did play some newer Metallica during one of the wild goals and also played some rage against the machine. Yeah. I wasn't a big fan of the newer Metallica, honestly. I can take or leave it. I mean, I wasn't, like I said, I've never been a big Metallica fan, but you know, I could take or leave the new stuff. Uh, rage against the machine. The only thing I can really comment is that, they are reuniting Tim in 2020. Yeah. It's honestly hard to believe, man. Rage Against Machine, they sat out the whole Bush administration, and now they come back for a potential second Trump run in the office. Yeah. It's interesting because you'd think Rage Against Machine, given their tight style of music, would have been active during the both the Bush and the Obama administrations, given uh, just some of the acts of government that passed during the war on terror. Yeah. But no, it looks like they're coming back for Donald. You know, we do live in weird times. Yeah, it's true. So, Tim, let's head over to the fourth and final game of the evening. Sens versus Flames is a 3-1 Flames victory. Sens goals scored by Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Flames goals scored by Elias Lindholm with two. And Dylan Dubé. Shots were 27-26 for the Senators. A fairly even game overall. Both teams played decently on both sides of the box throughout the game. However, the bouncers would go for Calgary in the end as they got... The W. It was a week, and uh, speaking about my week, I was at the game. I was going to comment about this because, and I know I was looking on, I was following your Twitter feed during the game, and of course, unfortunately, Chelsea couldn't attend the game, but you did get a chance to attend. Now, given that this is what your fourth game that you've attended in Calgary, Tim? Yep. Give or take? Yeah, so honestly, for some of our listeners who have never been to Calgary, like, what would you say about the the atmosphere in the arena at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome in Calgary. I don't want to be too negative because, like, the building itself is, for a sports arena is actually pretty easy to navigate. Like, the press level seats are actually pretty... Like, I bought cheapo seats, and I had a really good view. You probably could have seen some of my takes from Twitter about the arena atmosphere. Uh, so they're doing their 40th anniversary year this year. And... Uh, so they had a video about just how their history is connected through now and then used chains by Fleetwood Mac. Do you know much about 
Fleetwood Mac's Rumors album? Yes, that uh, Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham were either married or they were dating, and they broke up around the time of that record. Yeah, and the song, and Chains itself is that they were obviously two people who didn't want to be together anymore, obviously not, no fidelity, and the only thing binding them together was their past history in a legal document. Yeah, it's kind of like the Ramones with uh, KKK took my baby away. Because I can't ever think, I can't remember if it was Joey or Johnny Ramone cheated on the other's girlfriend while they were still in the band. And that's what caused the rift between the two, even though they continued to be in a band for some 20 years after the fact. But the fact they never spoke to each other while in that band really spoke to how much they hated each other because of that. Yeah, and it's funny because it's, the fact that the person who chose the music for this, like, the video is pretty well produced, and people put a lot of work onto it, but whoever chose the song didn't really listen to it at all. Yeah, and that's tough, right? Because obviously with videos like that, you kind of need a song that fits the mood and kind of fits what you're trying to do. And I remember when Alfredson retired and they used In the Name of Love by U2, and I'm like, okay, that, it's not a bad song. I mean, and you know me. I'm not the biggest YouTube fan in the world. But I don't want to say that song was kind of out of place, but I'm like, I don't know if that's really the right song I would have gone with. As much as I love Alfie, he's not Martin Luther King. That's true. That would be <laughs> like if they used, you know, Sunday Bloody Sunday or New Year's Day or, you know, One. Which, well, by the way, well, One by U2, fantastic song. Fantastic song. Lots of people choose it for wedding songs. You really shouldn't. Because One by U2 is a breakup song. Which is really funny that U2 played it at Canada 150. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's probably not the best choice of song I would have used. I mean, it's not like when the when U2 played the Super Bowl at, right after 9-11 and they played Beautiful Day. Like, that was perfect for them. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And then... That kind of runs through the rest of the experience because it was a lot of... It's interesting because it wasn't... Like, two years ago when you went to the Flames game, you could expect country, and it was kind of a cool... It was cool because it gave the... It, it was a different kind of feeling to a, an NHL stadium. It gave the Flames a bit of character. Now it's just kind of top 40s. They were playing, like, top 40s or top 40 classic rock. And then just meme spam on the Jumbotron. Mm -hmm. and it's just kind of eh. like you had Billie Eilish playing while you had a, it wasn't the Burger King guy but it was something cut at that level of just spammed of no contact spammed meme right so it's just kind of like I feel like this is an attempt for old people to make the old people feel like they're still with it yeah I but used to be with it but then they changed what it was now what is it, isn't it? And what is it seems weird and scary to me. And it'll yeah, happen to trying, you. Yeah, they're trying to emulate emulate it in a safe way. It just comes kind off as kind of empty. And it really makes me appreciate that just kind of the, that like Alex Marchand or other arena DJs are willing to either adventure it or hire someone to know who's actually steeped in that kind of culture. Mm -hmm. But going back to Alex Marchand when we had him on the show, the one thing he commented about when it comes to music choices is that the team that he's working with made that conscious decision to move away into using more 
more EDM or more electronic music to try and attract a different crowd to the games. And while obviously Calgary is very known for country, given they have the Calgary Stampede every year, and you know they're always known for the Cowboys and all that stuff. But that's the thing. I mean, obviously with the National Predators, they take that to the next level where they get country superstars like Carrie Underwood or whoever to come to the games and sing the anthem or wave the rally towels. It just kind of seems like the specialness and the uniqueness that Calgary had for that is kind of lost now that Nashville just takes it to the next level and for the Flames it's just like, yeah, we play country music, but that's about it. And it's weird because like the opening, it, it wasn't even like, it was an opening you could have done anywhere because they just did, they did a Saturday Night Live opening too. Like, what does Saturday Night Live really have to do with Calgary? I don't know. I mean, honestly, if they wanted to do something with Calgary, they could have done something with either the Stampeders or Brad Hart or somebody, somebody from Calgary, something yeah. that's more representative of Calgary. Right. Yeah. And that's like, like even when I was going to the games two or three years ago, their opening video was like, they had, if I remember correctly, it was a Calgary based country star. I forget who did the song. And it was like videos of the industry around town. And, but at the same time, I could get why they moved away from that. And the whole time, they were just, like, the Jumbotron had just a natural gas fire burner hooked up to it. So it's just shooting flames the whole time. I can understand why they were getting away from that, given kind of how the energy industry has been depressed for the past four years. So I can see uh, why they would not want to do that as well. Yeah, kind of like with the Oilers and that oil derrick they have when the players skate onto the ice. Yeah. Other than that, it's, for a hockey arena, it's still quite a good arena. The sight angles are still good. Uh, I didn't buy anything because Chelsea and I went to Burger 320 after the game. And how was the burger at Burger 320? Fantastic as always. Awesome. Now, can we go on record and say, now, if you had to choose, if you had to choose between that or burgers and fries forever, now, obviously, different locations, different cities, which one would you give? 320 hands down. 320? It's a really good burger. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like, even when I came to Calgary last summer, that was the very first place you took me to. You're like, come on, Tay, we're going to Burger 320. I was like, okay. And yeah, the yeah, burger like, was really good. Yeah, it's, it's funny that we got to the point of regular that we know the owners. That's awesome. Actually, yeah. one thing we should really comment before we actually go on to talk about this game, because we spent all this time talking about uh, the arena presentation and arena atmosphere. Now, you remember last March when the Flames played the Sens in Calgary. There was that young fan in the Sens end who was flossing along the glass and Brady to chuck out a floss off with him. Yeah. Tim, I'm proud to say the fan came back and he and Brady were flossing on the bench. That's a amazing you know what's funny is that when i saw that my first reaction was oh that's awesome see this is why brady's one of my favorite people because he'll do stuff like that for the fans and just the when you see the picture of him with brady the excitement on his face was just like oh my god i get to hang out and get a picture with brady to chuck this is amazing yeah and i guess the other thing too is it's like that's such a Another really key thing is just getting the fans on board as well. And it's not showing your butt to a security guard. Yeah. Yeah, Austin. But yeah, do we talk about the game? 
Yes, we do. Uh, let's talk about Marcus Hogberg. 24 saves, a .923 save percentage. Honestly, I thought he looked pretty solid in this game for what he saw against the Flames. Yeah, and uh, honestly, the Flames actually didn't really get that much volume, and the shots they were getting weren't great, and they weren't getting sustained pressure, but you saw Mark Hogberg is a very active goaltender, and he looked, he looked really keyed in on Saturday night. Uh, his positioning was good, his motion was really good, and the two goals that went against him were just weird bounces. Yeah. Like, uh, the Dubé shot was a weird roll and then a bounce. The first Lindholm goal came from, it was a kind of an aborted play off the face-off after the Pajot goal. Hoberg was properly positioned, and then it just kind of bounced past him, bounced past him kind of weird. I don't really, I don't fault him on either of those goals. It's just bizarre. Yeah. Actually, I want to talk about the Sens play a little bit, because despite getting their chance in this game, and I'm not sure if you feel the same way seeing the game live, but for me watching on a TV, it seems like Ottawa's offensive play started off a bit disjointed as DJ Smith shaked up the lineups. Like, Tuchuk was on the third line, Duclair, I think, was on the second line, Logan Brown was a healthy scratch. Like, I look at some of the lineups, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, you could definitely see... It was disjointed. And the one thing I noticed, going back to uh, Brady Tuchuk, is that you can see Brady Tuchuk really put on the Jets and really stepped his game up knowing that he doesn't have the familiarity playing with these other guys given that the Logan Brown and the Anthony Duclairs weren't on the same line as him in this game. Oh, for sure. And you could tell the sense really. It was kind of a... The first period, it was a weird first period because neither team was really into it. A 5 o'clock starts, also kind of a weird time. But it was interesting because I felt that Ottawa had really, they had managed to just throw a blanket over Calgary's top line. Just that Gaudreau-Monaghan line just really didn't do much all night. They were kept well-contained, but the Senators, I felt, yeah, it was disjoint in the first period, and then it really started to come on up until the Pajot goal. And it was just, the Sens had slight momentum, not strong momentum. And, yeah, I felt that they played pretty well. Calgary looked awful. Like, passes weren't working. Their their fastest player was Milan Lucic. And it was just, you could tell that the Peters week, had, the week the Flames had, had taken a toll on the players. Because that was their first game since Peters was fired. And it was completely, completely disorganized. And the Sens just weren't able to put anything past Riddick, who had a fantastic game. So the one comment I guess I can only make on this game is through the Third Line Plug Twitter page. Because I put up on Twitter on the day of this game that... So the Sens are starting their Western road trip tonight in the Tropical Metropolis Calgary, Alberta with M91 Honey Badger. Questionable for tonight's matchup. Who will be attending games in Calgary, Vancouver, or Edmonton on this trip? Now, actually, I'm shocked. I actually got a few responses, and it wasn't just yourself. It was at DEG11 and at LIP1978, who both responded they would be in the game in Calgary. And actually, uh, David Gooley actually sent me a picture of where he was sitting in the arena, which you commented on. Yeah, well, he had fantastic seats right by the Sens' end. It's awesome that uh, we got a few Sens guys out in uh, Calgary. And uh, you always get a decent contingent of Sens fans at the 
at the Flames since games. I think last year I ended up sitting with a bunch. Yeah, you get that in Edmonton too, because I know um, our good friend Joseph went to the game last year, and he says there was a number of Senator fans in the arena. There's literally dozens of us. Yeah. Just from watching the game, uh, the Shabbat DeMello pairing I thought played very well. They were probably the only two play. Them and Brady were the only players I would say that were really on point. Maybe Nick Paul. Paul and White, he didn't have much ice time, but in the ice time he had, he looked very good. Bodin and Schlappick didn't see much ice and weren't very good in it. One player, I know this, uh, Tyler Ray was saying this on Twitter, it's, what is the point of Artem Samov? He looks like a guy who's just motivated, really, to play. And he was just kind of floating. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And even, like, outside of him, of the delay of game penalty, he got, I really didn't even notice him in this game. Yeah, actually, one player that I noticed and was very happy with this game was, and again, he was, he didn't show up on the score sheet, but Eric Bradstrom had a good game. Lots of very good north-south play, very, very good driving at the ice, and uh, he was very good on the blue line, just making sure pucks were staying in and sustaining pressure against Calgary. I really liked Bradstrom's game. So, Tim, I don't have any more notes to make of this game if you just want to head on to the close for another evening. Uh, no, I think I'm... Actually, one thing I do want to talk about is, man, that penalty at Ottawa was given at the end of the game was terrible. Like, that was a clear dive. Oh, yeah. Like, that was brutal, and it gave Calgary the game. Well, unfortunately, Tim, it is what it is. It is what it is. Uh... I got some funny looks from my section when I yelled it was a dive. Really? Was it all Flames fans? Yeah, it was a, I was all around Flames fans this time. Actually, it was interesting because it's... here, And this is something I wasn't... I should have thought about, but didn't really when I was buying tickets. Because it's a 5 o'clock start, there were a lot of kids. Yeah, that's a good point, Tim, actually. So there was a lot of inane chatter throughout the game. And I think one of the kids got next to me got bored and started loudly playing Fortnite. Ugh, kids, am I right? But it was funny at the same time because he saw the other fans were like, there wasn't a lot of, like, the foul language really was kept to a minimum, and the kids talked to the other Flames fans, even if they weren't necessarily the parents. Like, like everyone's like, oh, oh, yeah, it's fun. This, Oh, you like this player? Uh, one kid decided that Lucic was going to be his favorite player because his name was fun to say. So it was interesting watching kids interact with hockey. So are you saying that this kid with Milan Lucic is what I was like as a kid with Dante Culpepper? Yes. Except Dante Culpepper was actually, you know, good? Maybe. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording them for you. We are on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network where you can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at m 9 Honey Badger. I'm at Great White Gipster, G-R-8, W-I-T-E, Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you want to get into a conversation about the fan experience at the Sound Dome in Calgary, shoot me an email, thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com. So, Tim, we've only got three games this week. Tuesday, we are in 
Vancouver to play the Canucks. Wednesday, we are in the city of Draft Lottery Champions to play the Edmonton Oilers. And Saturday, we are in Philadelphia to play the Flyers. No, actually, that's one of the things that's such a weird part of that schedule is that they didn't just drive up the highway and then fly to Vancouver and then fly back. Yeah, it's weird because usually the Western road trip is Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton. Yeah, or <coughs> usually it's the Ed- if there's a back-to-back, it's Calgary, Edmonton, not Edmonton, Vancouver, Vancouver, Edmonton after playing Calgary. I'm guessing it's just the way the schedule sh- shook out. Yeah. One thing I can note, though, even though like we're playing the Flyers on Saturday night in Philadelphia, I guess for next week's episode, we should be injecting a little bit of nitro into it, Tim. Oh, why is that? Well, you know, think about it, right? We're going to try to put some butts in the seat somehow. True, true. Are we going to have another bet? Possibly. Until next week, guys, I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jackson. Go Sands, guys. Woo!